Hi, this is Jason Cascarino. Welcome to the third season of the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative. You can learn about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Now, here's this episode. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets that impact young adolescents in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, we have part two of my conversation with Alex Usher and Alex Seaskin from the University of Chicago. Alex Usher is Associate Director for Data Research at the University of Chicago's To and Through Project and Senior Research Analyst for the UChicago Consortium on School Research. Alex Seaskin is Director of the To and Through Project, which is housed at the UChicago Urban Education Institute. UChicago's Consortium on School Research and the To and Through Project have been at the forefront of research into data that can determine whether students in elementary, middle, and high school are on track for on-time graduation and successfully transitioning into post-secondary options. And maybe the other thing that is sort of powerful for middle grade educators especially, but really for all educators, is just how much the research shows that GPA and attendance are malleable. And I think people get really fixated on test scores for good reason. They've been part of accountability systems. They're easy to measure and to track, but they're really, research has shown, not super malleable. Yeah, as kids' test scores change across time a little bit here and there at the edges, but GPA is really are much more open to that movement and I think are more of a place of where people feel a little bit more agency. Like, yes, I can help my students unlock ways to get better grades or ways to, you know, be more successful in their classes, more so than moving those test scores. And at the end of the day, we find it's more predictive in research that the consortium has done in the past that GPA and attendance are actually better indicators than test scores. Here in part two of our conversation, Alex Usher, Alex Seaskin, and I talk more about a new report on middle grades on track from UChicago to and through, about the power of on-track indicators to show real-time trajectories of students, about the most critical thresholds in student grades and attendance that drive those trajectories, and about how educators can use these data to influence big-picture school-wide educational issues as well as interventions for individual students or specific groups of students. We also address some new research interests for the middle grades that are on the horizon. Previously in part one of our conversation, we talked about the To and Through Project and its unique partnership with Chicago Public Schools to access and analyze student data to understand performance, achievement, and the educational experience. We talked about the underlying research behind on track and early warning indicators. And we previewed the new report from the University of Chicago that offers a research-based tool for middle grades educators to group students according to key factors that influence their long-term educational trajectories. Part one is now available wherever you get your podcasts. Now to set up part two of our conversation, here's Alex Seaskin from part one, talking about how the on-track tool places students into four specific groups using a combination of data around attendance and grades. Our indicator essentially has two lines. There's whether or not students have above a 3.0 GPA and whether or not they have above 90% attendance. And if you a student has above 90% attendance and above a 3.0 GPA, they are on track in our system. If they have less than a 3.0 GPA, 
but are coming to school 90% of the time or more. We call that group of students academic support students or the academic support category. And then on the flip side, if the students have a 3.0 GPA but aren't coming to school very frequently, this is a very small group of students. We call those students attendance support students. And the final group are students with less than 3.0 GPA and less than 90% attendance. And we call those, uh, that group of students uh, intensive support students. And now here's part two of my conversation with Alex Usher and Alex Seaskin. And I don't know, Alex Usher, you wanna talk a little bit about some of the outcomes associated with these, these different groups, because one of the things we find is that like freshmen on track, where students are in these, you know, in these different groups is associated with outcomes far, far down the road. Yeah, I think that was kind of the other big finding of this research. Like Alex Siskin said, the one big finding was just how many students there are in that academic support category, meaning they're coming to school but don't have a B average or 3.0. I think the other big finding was just how strongly these different groups correlate with future outcomes. We looked at both graduating high school in four years and doing so with a 3.0, and then we looked at whether students enrolled immediately into college, and that could be a two-year or a four-year college after graduating high school. And we looked at how being in one of those four categories correlated with those later outcomes. And I think the biggest finding we saw was just the difference, the surprising difference for students in the on-track category versus students in that academic support category. And so these are all students who are coming to school at least 90% of the time. The difference is whether they have a 3.0 GPA in the middle grades. And that difference we see correlates with really strong differences in whether they finish high school with a 3.0 GPA and whether they enroll immediately into college. So, and then of course we see also differences among, I think to be a little bit more expected students in that intensive support group versus students in the on-track group. So those were, I think, really the biggest findings for us was that it sort of underscored the importance and the value of these four categories, as well as sort of a call to action around that group of students in the academic support category. So these cutoffs, the 3.0 on the GPA and the 90% on attendance, the, the evidence behind those cutoffs is that the, when you predict into the future where what their success rate is going into high school and into college, those seem to be the, the clear markers. Yeah, our research found that those are both clear markers and we also sort of galvanized around those two numbers because they're they're both easy to remember and have sort of been socialized in Chicago public schools already. So we know 90% attendance across the country is used as sort of that cutoff for chronic truancy or chronic absence. 90% is talked about a lot as the minimum necessary attendance. By no means the goal we want to reach for for all students. We want students to have, especially in the elementary grades and middle grades, much higher attendance. But we did see sort of a real drop off at that 90% rate. And then the 3.0 is something that, at least in Chicago public schools, has been talked about for a while now. We sometimes refer to it as Bs are better. 3.0 GPA lines up with a B average. So that Bs are better language has been used at the high school level. And so we thought that was both backed up by the research and something that was easy to remember. And people were sort of already, it was in the language a little bit already. And if I were a middle school teacher or a principal or an instructional coach, Alexis, can you talk a little bit about how I might use these data Right. You had your colleagues, Ashley Leonard and Jen Choke, on the podcast last season to talk, to talk a little bit about the Middle Grades Network, which involves a lot of coaching and facilitation and data-informed practice and a set of Chicago schools. But 
for our audience, you know, whether it's in a facilitated professional learning experience like that or other context, just talk a little bit more about how these data are used by professionals in learning settings, uh, both in terms of like, how do you actually look at the data and also like, how do you sort of tie the instructional interventions or other kinds of interventions to uh, to those? You talked about the groupings, just say a little bit more about the utility of the data. Sure, so so I think there's two kinds of uses of, of this data. The first use is, you know, what we kind of think of as big rock strategy. So in other words, you know, whether it's meeting each quarter as a middle grades team or meeting during the summer and sort of looking back, this is kind of longer term thinking, longer term planning work. You're looking and you're saying, what are the equity gaps around our on-track data? Or, you know, why do we have so many students, you know, let's say in maybe one school's case, more than half of our students in that academic support group? And what can we do as a school community, again, sort of at a high strategy level, to move more of those students to a on-track group? Another way to think about this would be it's almost like tier one work. You know, how's our, our high level tier one instructional strategy, our tier one culture? And what changes do we need to make when we look at our data over time or look at our data, you know, broken out by race, gender or for uh, diverse learners or English language learners? Those types of kind of bigger, bigger rock questions. The second use is uh, more of a tier two or tier three use, which we think of as taking place oftentimes during the middle of the quarter, where you're tracking sometimes small groups of students, sometimes even individual students over the course of the quarter to say, let's look at the five students who have seen the biggest GPA loss between the end of first quarter and the seventh week or eighth week of second quarter. And let's get, talk about, like get that list of five students, get their grades in front of all of the teachers, and let's talk about them and how we can intervene or what types of conversations we can have with them or their families or what the classes are that, you know, they're struggling in the most and which of us as teachers can pull them out for one-on-one support. It's that type of kind of student to student work that's also absolutely a part of, of this. Our tool, you know, which we talked a little bit about, our, we call our milestones tool, is meant to raise those big picture, high level questions. But then we also work with schools to build spreadsheets, essentially, of all of their students. And we, we are very intentional and careful about how we organize those spreadsheets so that they lead very easily. Schools can answer questions about individual students or small groups of students and can track those students over time. You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation several years ago with John Easton when he was head of the Institute for Education Sciences, and we were talking about ninth grade. And I said, you know, John, what what, what are the what do the data say about what are the strategies that work in ninth grade? And he said, Jason, you don't understand. Data is the strategy. That is that is the intervention. The data, the use of the data, so that educators can make those individualized choices. It's almost like case management in a way. They're really kind of in, providing that kind of individualized attention to each student based on what they're seeing in, in real time. And I think that's where data can really make the job a little bit easier because people are doing casework and they're doing intervention. But if you've got, you know, 15 minutes in the next period to pull like five students to do a one-on-one, like which five students should it be? And that's where spreadsheets like the one that Alex Siskel were talking about, or even just sometimes using these categories, 
or looking at things like you mentioned, like which five students have the biggest GPA drop last week to this week, or you know who's suddenly struggling in math. The data can really just help sort of pop those flags more quickly and make everyone's life a little bit easier, hopefully. And I think that the the, the other important t- point to think about is a, a middle school teacher. You know, let's say they're teaching four different sections and maybe even three different grade levels. I mean, like I was a teacher, I had oftentimes five different sections of high school, you know, 11th grade or ninth grade English and over a hundred students. Oftentimes I wouldn't know, even for my own class, who had dropped between first quarter and second quarter. Now I might say, here's some qualitative data that I picked out or I noticed this student was a a little quieter this quarter. But sometimes, teacher, we don't, we don't know that. Certainly, we don't know what's happening for a student in other classes that they're attending. And so the data can kind of shine a light on, on what's happening to different students. I think that's data can be the strategy, but I don't think it's the solution to Alex Eskin's point. I think it should always be the start of a conversation. Data should like generate conversations, and the conversations should lead to more strategies and solutions and stories. Sometimes it downfalls when people say like, well, we're gonna look at the data and that'll give us the answer. But really it's sort of the opening the opening move. Let's pick a little bit more, or let's go a little bit deeper on the story because I'm fascinated by the connections here to the, some of the underlying factors. You talked about the these grades and attendance being signals. A few years ago, I took uh, part in some conversations with a variety of stakeholders that are interested in middle grades, interested in, in improving the middle school experience particularly using some of the expanding science of learning and development. Um, and I remember Professor Bob Balfance at Johns Hopkins University and everyone graduate center. He was on one of the calls. And this was back when we did conference calls instead of Zoom. And he used the term stickiness when referring to the experiences of young adolescents, that it's so important that we get the learning experience right for young adolescents in particular because they're in a developmental period where their experiences will stick with them longer and more deeply than their experiences during other developmental periods. And your colleagues at the consortium have done a great work on adolescent development and others have done in the space. Do these developmental factors influence the on-track work either in helping to understand the data or in building a sense of urgency to get the data in the hands of educators so they can make use of it during this consequential time for young people. Maybe talk about some of the connections to some of these underlying factors that may be at play that the signals are picking up. Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned just the craziness that is adolescence, right? What's happening in adolescence brain, what hap- what's happening in their body, their experience as part of a larger social group, whether it's their class, whether it's their school, their community, like they're experiencing that really for the first time, their peer group. Being an adolescence, it's almost like you're like driving a Ferrari without brakes. You got this this huge engine that's going really, really fast in both in your brain, your body, but you don't know how to slow it down. I think that is one of the reasons we see in the data just so much change during this period of time in in students' GPAs. You know, we see students moving from on track, falling back down to academic support and down to intensive support and then moving back up. And, and part of that is because of these changes that are happening. Once students get sort of out of that early adolescence, once they become sophomores, juniors, their routines, their habits become much stickier. 
And it's much harder to sort of dislodge some of those habits or routines if they aren't being supportive uh, for the student. Middle grades and then that tra transition to freshman year, those are the times when we have the most in, in some ways, both from the developmental literature and from kind of the early intervention literature, we have the most opportunity to shape the habits, the routines, uh, the academic identities, the agency of students. Um, and I think that GPA and attendance, and, and we should say like, these are really crude indicators, right? Like, I mean, these are not, you know, we try not to use the word predictive because, you know, they're, if at an individual level, they, they really aren't. They are just sort of signals or signs of what might be happening behind the scenes. And I think the other thing that is sort of powerful for middle grades educators especially, but really for all educators, is just how much the research shows that GPA and attendance are malleable. And I think people get really fixated on test scores for good reason. They've been part of accountability systems. They're easy to measure and to track, but they're really, research has shown, not super malleable. Yeah, as kids, test scores change across time a little bit here and there at the edges, but GPAs really are much more open to that movement and I think are more of a place of where people feel a little bit more agency. Like, yes, I can help my students unlock ways to get better grades or ways to, you know, be more successful in their classes more so than moving those test scores. And at the end of the day, we find it's more predictive in research that the consortium has done in the past that GPA and attendance are actually better indicators than test scores. You've just completed this significant study, so this may be hard to answer, but I'm curious to hear what may come next. What more in your minds do we need to know about middle grades? What's on the horizon for this line of research and data analysis? One study that, that we are just at the beginning of looking into is on departmentalization. When we talk to our schools and we ask them, what are the points of transition that are really hard for your students? One of the things we hear a lot is when they move from having one teacher to having three or four teachers. And that transition, according to our schools, is when they see a lot of the disruptions between students and adults. And so we want to look at that. We want to understand that more at a, at a quantitative level to see if there is some support for that. And if there is potentially to try to work with schools to support students intentionally during those moments of transition from self-contained classroom in let's say fourth or fifth grade to all of a sudden having you know a science teacher, a math teacher, a, a reading teacher, all with different types of classrooms, different types of assignments, different calendars, different schedules, all of those different things. It's a lot more, we're asking more complicated questions than the questions we were asking in this report. So it's gonna take more time, but, uh, but it's one we're really, really excited about. And I think it links to the question of student experience because departmentalizing really changes how students experience school. And that's the other thing I think we're really interested in is um, Alex Eskin, mentioned, you know, trying to broaden our scope from just these quantitative questions that we've been answering for really as long as to and through has existed, but really trying to pair that with more of the qualitative, the understanding the student stories and experiences and the work with the middle grades network has really put front and center how important student voice and student experience in school is. And so trying to make that a component of our research as well moving forward and kind of understanding the other half of, you know, quantitative data that can tell you 
some really interesting trends and, and describe what's going on, but it really doesn't tell you the why or the other half of the story. Finally, for the both of you, what's one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from this conversation based on your work collecting, analyzing, reporting on data for middle grades? Things you'd like educators both in school and in after school and in summer programs to know or be able to do? For me, it's this piece, I mean, going, you know, building on this departmentalization piece, I think one of the things that oftentimes defines middle school is departmentalization, is this move towards departmentalization. And departmentalization has a ton of benefits, right? Like there's, uh, you know, teachers are able to focus on one or sometimes two subject areas and that, that focus and that expertise can lead to, you know, a lot of deep, deep learning. And when students in middle schools are seeing three or four different teachers every single day, in some ways, maybe they see their a PE teacher in a foreign language, I mean, it might be six or seven. It's imperative for those teachers to get together and talk about students. This data, on-track data, is, as we've been you know, saying, one of the keys to sort of like unlocking those conversations. Give it a shot. I mean, it sounds sort of trite, but just how important their work is. And our research really at the end of the day showed about the middle grades years is how important that time is for students like we said both developmentally and academically as well and just that those trajectories maybe on the tough days you think well you know students are struggling in the middle grades they'll get back on track in high school and they'll be okay but really the trajectories that they come out of middle school with are so important and that might be intimidating or overwhelming, but I think it's also really hopefully empowering and powerful to, to think students coming to school 90% of the time and leaving with a 3.0 GPA, our, our research showed twice as likely to enroll in college down the line as students who are at school just as often but don't have that 3.0 in the middle grades. It's just such a pivotal time and such an important time, and I think middle grades practitioners are just, it's a, it's a powerful and important job. Well, empowering is exactly the word that I was thinking in terms of your tools, just how empowering it is for educators to be able to have access to this data and be able to make those those choices of what to do with their students, whether it's building relationships or providing extra supports or anything that they can do. They are really the experts. They are the experts in the field who know what to do, but they need that data in order to, to make some of those, those key choices. Alex Usher, Alex Siskin, I am a great admirer and cheerleader for your work. I think it's immensely valuable to not only the Chicago education community, but to the education space broadly. So thank you for that work and for coming on the podcast to share it. It's been a delight. It's been so fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Jason. We, we love your work as well. Uh, big fans of the podcast. Um, and uh, uh, appreciate you. Thanks. That was Alex Usher and Alex Seaskin from the To and Through Project at the University of Chicago's Urban Education Institute. You can follow the work of To and Through online at toandthrough.uchicago.edu or on Facebook and Twitter at uchi 2 through Remember, you can look out for part one of my conversation with Alex Usher and Alex Seaskin, which is out now, on the Lessons in Adolescence podcast where we feature conversations with researchers, practitioners, program developers, and advocates for young adolescents in the middle school years. Recently, we recapped season two of the podcast in two recap episodes, which offered highlights from conversations in our last season. Those are also available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of Remaking Middle School an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. 
Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School or find more resources about the topics of this podcast on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino. Editing by Paige Waterhouse. You can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.